We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of your go-to Pacers podcast. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Michael J. Focci will not be joining us today, but have no fear. The show must go on, and a familiar voice to all of you all, Derek Schultz from Aquarian Schultz, will be joining me. You guys know Derek. We, we love having him on the podcast, and he's going to be joining us monthly, so make sure you guys are tuned in for our conversations. But I thought this would be a good time to look at the Pacers roster and, and look at the Pacers season after the first 11 games great stopping point here we got another three days before the paces are back in action sunday against the magic so you know it was a great opportunity here for me and derek to kind of just look at what this pacers team has done in the first 11 games of the season now i do want to transition a little bit here because daniel tice was bought out today by the indiana pacers and this was a little bit of a surprise for some people but not really considering the situation um, he had expressed his unhappiness uh, when he was visiting in Boston, and he was not with the team for personal reasons in Philadelphia on Tuesday night, and then Wednesday it became official that they had waived him, and they were looking to do a buyout uh, agreement with the contract. So what that means for the Pacers with their 14, uh, 14-man roster, they have an extra roster spot. Do they want to add somebody? Sure. They, they've always usually had a full roster, but... There is pros and cons to not bringing somebody on. You, you kind of maybe ponder the thought of, oh, could George Hill come back? Could, could James Johnson come back? I've even seen people throw out the idea of a TJ Warren, okay? Edmund Sumner. There's there's different guys that could come on. But for me personally, we don't really need any more guards on this roster. If you're going to go out and get somebody, maybe a forward, someone in the front court could make some sense. I don't think there needs to be any rush to fill this roster spot. Maybe you let the guys on the two-way contracts like your Kendall Browns, Oscar Sheboy, Isaiah Wong, continue to prove their worth in the G League and maybe reward them a little bit later in the season. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, Daniel Tice, it was a, a short-lived Pacers 
uh, era for him, just eight games as an Indiana Pacer. And, you know, you hate when guys are just bought out, they're not traded, there's no value coming back to the team. But to be honest with you, it it works out perfectly fine for everybody. He wasn't going to be a part of this team past a deadline. So the fact that he is now no longer on the roster does kind of give some clarity on the center position, pecking order-wise, if there was ever a question mark. And, you know, he played one game this season against the Bucks in the third quarter and was a plus zero. So kudos to Daniel Tice for getting an opportunity to, to find a new home. But with that being said, before we bring on Derek Schultz, I want to promote something. And, and a lot of times I don't do this. I might do it at the very end of the podcast to kind of plug it a little bit. But if you haven't already and you're a faithful listener of this podcast and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could just take 30 seconds to 60 seconds of your day and go leave us a five-star rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated. I know that there have been multiple of you that, that listen to this show that have already done that, but I know there's a handful of you that have not yet. So if you do listen to Spotify or Apple for your podcast and setting the pace is one that you listen to frequently, we, we really would appreciate it if you guys would give us that five-star rating and review and just let people know about our show because the more ratings and reviews that we have the easier it is for people to find us to to be able to listen to our show as well and enjoy our content that we're putting out on a daily basis now so that that's all i'm going to say i don't want to plug it too much but it, it just would mean a lot and we really do appreciate all of your support everybody every single person that's already left us one you all rock we even did a giveaway at one point for it so it really does help us out a lot so that's all i'm going to say let's go ahead and take a quick break when we come back Derek Schultz from Query and Schultz, Indian Sports Network, going to be joining us. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody joining us now. You guys have heard him on this podcast several times. He's going to be joining us monthly as we move forward with the season. It is Derek Schultz. Talk about your seven and four inning and a Pacers. Derek, what's going on, man? Seven and four. Yeah, it, it actually weirdly, it, I would have been thrilled with seven and four through the first 11 games if you would have told me that. But it, it's the way they've gotten to seven and four makes it even more exciting. I feel like Somehow seven and four doesn't even do it justice with this start that they're off to. Uh, I, I've just been thrilled, and I'm sure that we're going to talk all about that here in the next couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's really it's really awesome to see them have wins that you maybe didn't expect them to have. You know, taking care of business on the road early in the season against Cleveland. Then you come back home, you take care of business against Cleveland again. You take care of business against Milwaukee. You split with Philadelphia. They'd won eight in a row at this point in the end season tournament game too. So. 
just a lot of interesting ways this Pacer team has won games. It's been a, a collective group. It's not really just been, you know, one to two guys. It's always been Tyrese and who's going to join him that night. Mm. And so that's kind of where I think this interesting conversation happens between uh, a lot of different Pacers podcasters as we're trying to figure out who's the number two guy for this team. But right now I would say that it doesn't really matter as long as Tyrese Halliburton is doing what he's doing. Um, your early thoughts on, on Tyrese this year and maybe some of the growth you've seen from him from last year. Uh, special, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think I kind of agree with everybody else. He's, he's playing at a special level right now. Um, we were waiting for the cue for this whole thing to take off and, and it's taking off. I mean, we're, we're seeing the, the rocket ship ascend into outer space <laughs> right now with what he's <laughs> doing. Um, it's historic. It's special. It's, must see TV. It's 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 everything that you want in a young star face of your franchise. Uh, what what he's doing is remarkable. It's incredible. I, I think it's even beyond maybe what the most optimistic expectations were for him to start this season. And you know, here in this town, um, this franchise, and this is more of kind of like the the long view. Um, th- there have been some great players that have come through here, but, but very rarely have the Pacers ever had one of the eight, nine, 10 best players in the league. And I, I think, and, and, and we're not going to list them out right now on the show. <laughs> I think you can certainly argue through the first 10, 11, 12 games that Tyrese Halliburton has been one of the 10 best players in the NBA. Um, and we'll see if he's able to keep that up, but there's really no reason to think that, that he's not able to do something like that. I, I think there's a difference between star you know, the Pacers have had stars before. You know, uh, Roy Hibbert at his very best was a, was a star player. Um, Danny Granger at, at his best was a star player. DeMontis Sabonis was a star player. You know, there's a difference between star and then superstar. And Halliburton's up here on, on this level. He's a whole tier past where some of those other guys uh, who, are, who are great Pacers, and I'm not mm-hmm. trying to tear them down to build Tyrese up, but I'm, I'm just trying to underline how historic this is for this franchise to have a player – in blue and gold playing at this level right now. It's been phenomenal to see. And I think what's even more phenomenal, phenomenal about it is the fact that he wants to be here. The mm-hmm. fact that he is just embracing Indiana as his team, as his franchise and just, you know, running with it. And I love to see that from him because 23 years old, he's not even hitting his prime yet. And he's already at, you know, like you said, potentially top 10 in the league right now, based on how he's played through the first 11 games of the year. So He's on the right trajectory to really be a special, special player. I think there's a great chance he makes All-NBA this year, ends up getting that $260 million instead of 206 that the Pacers agreed to in the offseason four with him. And then you also have to throw in the fact that he just makes everybody else around him better by his unselfish style of play. And you see a guy like Ben Matherin, who's in his second year, and he wants to take that next step have moments where he hasn't been able to do that, but then there's also been moments where he has been able to be number two next to Tyrese. Miles has really stepped up. I think uh, there's a stat I saw today that out of the 125 assists from Tyrese Halliburton, Miles has been the recipient of the most at 39 this season. So, you know, it's but 39 being the highest to me shows just how much he's sharing the basketball as well, too. So if we look at the second best player on this team consistently, I would assume it's Miles Turner based on how the year's gone. But um, Miles, year nine with the Pacers, playing probably some of his best basketball the last year plus. What have you noticed from Miles this year? And what have you noticed with his pairing with Tyrese? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think there is, and, and Miles has always been a, a confident guy, but I feel like he's been more assertive. Um, I think last night is a great example. Um, we all know what the Embiid matchup has been like for Miles during his career, really for the Pacers in general. Um, he, he's eaten their lunch time and time again. And, and a lot of times when that happens, you know, Turner might get down, miss a couple of shots early or get into foul trouble. And then he's on the bench and then he's pressing and, and he's kind of getting out of his flow and he just kind of goes into a shell and he's, you know, you look it up at the end of the night and he's three of seven for the field for eight points and four rebounds. And you're just like, Oh God. And, and Embiid, you know, does what 35 and 15 or, you know, whatever he does. And I, I think, look, it, it wasn't necessarily a great game for Miles Turner last night, but it was a great fourth quarter. Yeah. And, you know, game is on the line, and it, it's been somewhat of a typical Embiid-type game against the Pacers, and, and Miles kind of put his foot down. And I, I just feel like, you know, for the team in general, I think that was a very important win, but I feel like that performance overall individually was really important for Miles going forward. And, you know, I, I don't want to condescend here. He's, he's, a, he's spent a decade in the league. You know, we, we're always kind of trained to talk about our Miles Turner like he's some like growing twenty three year old. Um, he's he's a veteran, right? Like he he should be kind of past that point. But I, I still think just even for veteran players, um, there there's a level of growth and, and improvement that you go through even when you're in year eight, year nine, year ten. And and I think we're seeing that kind of continue here for Miles with this next chapter with Tyrese. It's kind of like. You know, you have you have the miles before Tyrese Halliburton. You have the miles post that, and and I still think they're the arrow is pointing up, and there's still even more room for growth and improvement for Miles Turner um, with this new captain of the offense by his side. The mental toughness, like you talked about uh, against Philadelphia. I mean, I, I think I even tweeted about it during the bubble, and I'm pretty sure you responded to me at this point. I was like, at this point, it's just mental when Miles plays Joel Embiid. And that's what it felt like. And it kind of felt like it was going to be that way again on Tuesday. Like I thought he had a decent game on uh, Sunday versus him. Probably one of his better matchups. I think he ended up having maybe close to 20 points. If it wasn't 20, I can't remember. But that first game, Miles came out in that, in that third quarter and was a much more assertive, was attacking Joel off of the three-point line, was able to kind of be a little bit more physical down low than he usually is. But that Tuesday game, it just felt like, oh, man, four fouls in like four minutes. Like what is going on here? And then, like you said, that fourth quarter was just spectacular. One of the best fourth quarters I've ever seen Miles Turner play, specifically in a game with such high stakes, because this is mm -hmm. one of the best teams in the in, in the NBA at this point. They're on an eight-game winning streak, and the Pacers needed that from him. I don't know if they win that game if Miles doesn't play at that high of a level. There could have been someone else that steps up, sure, but they didn't need to because Miles was able, Miles was able to get seven free throws in that in that quarter, six or seven from the free throw line. And really just put his foot down and let people know, like, hey, I'm not going to just be this pushover guy against Embiid. So it was great to see. I mean, you love seeing that resiliency from Miles Turner. But I don't think they get there if it wasn't for the play of Obi Toppin. And I know before the season started, we were kind of curious, like, what is Obi Toppin going to be like for this team? We weren't super high on him. Uh, more kind of like a wait-and-see approach with Obi. And it's been a little bit of an up-and-down year, uh, year form so far. Uh, I'm curious, your thoughts on Obi Toppin so far <laughs> early on in the season, obviously coming off his best game potentially of his entire career. 
Yeah, if you asked me 48 hours ago, I might have a different answer, right? Exactly. Because we're still kind of basking in the glow of Obi's great performance. What was it, 27 <laughs> points or whatever it was? Yeah. Um, I, I think obviously what he did against Philadelphia is, is a little bit of an outlier, but I, I think he shows that he at least has that in his bag. Mm-hmm. And and if if Obi Toppin could raise his floor just a little bit, I, I think you have a nice, effective NBA player. Um, is he an all-star? Is he ever going to live up to being a top 10 overall pick? Uh, yep. Probably not. Um, but is he more than kind of what I thought he was in New York, which was a guy that was just an athlete and a dunker? Um, he could still dunk. I think Pacers, <laughs> we've had like a year's worth of highlight reel dunks already from Obi Top, and it's been a month. Um, but he, I, I think there is a little bit more there. And I, I'm just really interested to see how the Pacers kind of unlock that. I, I think what ends up happening is that any of these guys that another team gives up on, you look at what they could be or, or maybe what they were once projected to be. I think we did this with Jalen Smith, too. And we're like, well, he was drafted here. And, and he, you know, he, scout said he could be this. And then you kind of talk yourself into like this really high end expectation. And then you just kind of end up settling into something of, of you know, how does he impact winning for this team? And I think Obi Toppin can impact winning for the Pacers without being a lottery pick level player. I, I, Jalen Smith is already doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just about kind of, and, and I think we're going to expand on this a little bit more here because if, if there is one thing that is, I don't know if I'd say bothersome, but a little bit of a concern, I, I think with the Pacers this year is, and it's not just with Toppin, it's just consistency across the board. Yeah. But, you know, with, with several players that I, I know we'll probably end up discussing here, but if, if he can just consistently get a little bit above of, of what we've seen in the other 10 games so far um, and not, not do 27, but, you know, maybe 12 instead of eight, you know, something like that. Um, I, I think he can be a really effective player who impacts the Pacers bottom line. I thought it did a great job using his athleticism to kind of take advantage of the slow footedness of yeah. the, the 76ers defense, especially Joel Embiid. I was just blown away when the Pacers went small the final five minutes in that second quarter. And I actually listened to a 76ers podcast today to kind of hear them break down the game. And they just kind of like, were like, oh, we should have got Embiid more involved, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, you guys were terrible in that five-minute stretch. They were one of 11 from the field in that five-minute stretch. And they only scored six points. Two of them came off technical free throws. One was a flopping one. One was a take foul. So they got two Embiid free throws. And then they had one made layup by Tobias Harris. That was it. And it's like, what was working so well for the Pacers during that stretch? Well, it was they were using their speed and their athleticism. And I I didn't bring this up on the postgame podcast, but they were talking, the Sixers podcast was just talking about how tired Joel Embiid looked in the fourth quarter, how gassed he looked. I was at that Bucks game and I was sitting courtside for that game. Giannis was gassed by the end of that fourth quarter. Do you think there's something there with the Pacers playing this style of pace that they're going to be able to wear guys out, specifically in an 82-game regular season? Like Maybe not a playoff, it wouldn't matter as much, but for a regular season game, a lot of teams aren't used to playing this fast and having this many possessions and having to defend at such a uh, a random type of offense. I mean, is this an advantage the Pacers can use to really maybe sneak out an extra five, six wins on the record than they maybe wouldn't have been scheduled to or predicted to, to win? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I think my answer to that would be, I think occasionally they can on the right night. I don't yeah. think that's something you can rely on. Um, you know, Embiid and, and Maxi didn't look drained at the end of the fourth quarter in Sunday's game. 
right? right, right. So, you know, I, I think that kind of uh, that that can kind of cut both ways. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree uh, agree that Embiid was gassed. I'd be gassed too <laughs> with with that output that he puts in there. But yeah, I, I think the pace is is difficult. Um, I, I think the depth too is really where the Pacers have advantage. It's not just how they play. It's how many guys they can play and play effectively. Cause a lot of NBA teams don't have rotations that can go that deep if they absolutely have to. Um, so I think it's really a combination of tempo and depth um, are, are two arrows. I guess you'd say that the Pacers really kind of have in their quiver. I, I just don't think that re- relying on wearing teams out is, is something that, that you can do. I, I think you still need to, um, be able to be effective at at what you do instead of worrying about tiring somebody out. And and the Pacers luckily are very effective playing at the tempo that they play. Yeah, and I will say like I think part of the reason why Max I don't think Max is ever going to get tired playing that style. But I don't I think Embiid was able to not be tired because the 76ers kind of maintained uh, the control of the pace of the game against Indiana in that first sure. one. And so yeah. I think that that is part of it too. It's like the Pacers have to play at that same pace. And if they're not able to do that, then it's going to be much harder for them to wear guys out. But that's that's why the rebounding was such a big difference in that game, too, because you look at yeah. last night's game, 89 field goal attempts for the 76ers, the previous game, 105. So you're talking about a drastic difference there because, you know, they only had five offensive rebounds compared to 15. It's just this is where the Pacers can get better. That's where I thought, you know, they weren't like there weren't any dominant rebounders yesterday for the Pacers. In terms of like one player getting like ten to fifteen, it was a as a collective. You know, I think Obi Toppin had six. Uh, Tyrese, I think he had seven, if I'm not mistaken. So it's one of those things where it's like you you have to rebound by committee. So I'm excited to see what this team can do because seven and four feels really good. Um, there's a lot of players we could talk about. I, I'm curious, is there one maybe that stood out to you that you thought I'd really like to talk about? Maybe their season being up and down. Uh, really solid or whatever. I mean, I'll let you kind of take the the, the reins from here. Hopefully it's okay. And and maybe, you know, I, I remember doing a preseason show with you guys and we were talking about like the rotations and who's going to get minutes. And, and you know, I always end up being wrong about certain things. Like I thought Jairus Walker would be more ready to play like right away. Of, of course, that's not really the case. But but one one guy that I was actually worried about falling all the way out of the rotation was Jalen Smith. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and here he is now. Not only is he in the rotation, he's been one of their most important players through the first 10, 11 games. Um, I, you know, I, I think you can argue he's been one of their, I, you know, kind of once you get past Halliburton and, and Turner and Neesmith, um, I think he's right there in that next group um, of most important guys. And um, I, I think it's been great. It's been great to see that. I was worried that he was going to get, get uh, sort of get pushed out of the picture, but he's really kind of taken that back a big role and, um, and, and he brings a lot to the table for them. So, you know, that's one guy that I, I think surprised in a good way um, of this roster. And there are a couple of guys that I've been surprised with, you know, I'm, I'm glad and Somewhat surprised this will see T- – maybe we shouldn't be at this point because he keeps proving everybody wrong every year. T.J. McConnell still has a role on this team, and, and it's an important one. And it's not just him consoling guys on the bench. It's an important role with him actually with the basketball in his hands. So, But but Jalen Smith, to me, it, it has been the big surprise in a good way, and, and I'm really, really happy to see it. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting conversation to have all offseason long was who's going to be the backup five because – yeah. You could have made the case before he was uh, bought out today and waived by the Pacers. Daniel Tice, veteran guy, if you're trying to win now, is someone a little bit more reliable? Do you go to that route? Do you go Isaiah Jackson, that guy that can 
you know, jump out of the gym and can block a lot of shots and catch lob passes if you're wanting to play fast? Or do you go with a Jalen Smith who can kind of be semi-similar to Miles in terms of being able to shoot the three ball, protect the rim? Um, I think he's a pretty solid rebounder, but probably their best rebounder on the team, to be honest with you. Um, just really provides a nice force down there in the paint. But I, I just always felt like it made the most sense stylistically to go with Jalen because of the outside shooting thread, as well as being able to be a good rebounder. Where Isaiah Jackson, to me, this is kind of going back to what you said about Obi Toppin, more of an athlete than he is an yeah. actually, you know, a uh, great basketball player. But at the same point, he wasn't drafted in the lottery. He's drafted 22nd, 23rd overall. So that's where I kind of give him a little bit of a pass because I don't think his expectations were nearly as high as Toppin's, you know, uh, former player of the year in college basketball too. But Jalen Smith has just been rock solid. Uh, you can definitely tell, like, this team misses him when he's not out there on the floor, especially playing those backup minutes. His ability to to get behind the three-point line and shoot that at a high clip has been spectacular this year. I think he was leading the league in three-point percentage for eligible players before they played these two games against Philly. Not sure what he ended up finishing, but I know he had another one on Tuesday, and I think he had a couple more on Sunday. It's just like he's done a really good job of being a threat from outside, but also just playing under control. And that was one of the things we didn't see from him before. So. Mm. I, I have thoroughly loved Jalen Smith. We did a ranking of the roster based on who's had the most impressive season. And it's funny when you were mentioning the, the top three, then Jalen Smith in the next category. I had him at number four on mine behind, oh, wow. yeah. behind Halliburton. I had Halliburton one, Neesmith two, Turner three, and then Jalen four in terms of how they've played this year consistently and based on expectations too. I just feel like he's exceeded them a lot, but he's been so good for this team. It's It's crazy to me how impactful he's actually been. Yeah, me too. Because, you know, with Aaron Neesmith, I think we kind of knew what he was. He's kind of their Swiss Army knife, and and it, I don't think his production surprises people, but I, I think Jalen Smith does. Um, on the other side, Alex, uh, you know, surprising disappointment, um, and I and we all knew that his role was going to be reduced this year. Um, I, I'm actually – what I'm surprised by is, is not necessarily the level of play of Buddy Heald. I, I'm surprised by how little he's mattered seemingly mm -hmm. to them this year. Um, and I, and I don't see that, say that like in a mean way, but Buddy Heald was critical to the Pacers success last year. And, and so far this year, I don't think he's been critical to their success. No. Um, and, and, you know, that being in a contract year and, and having his role diminished, I, I mean, uh, I don't want to say the writing is on the wall, but th those, you know, that being in the background, I think is, is going to continue to hear, especially considering if, if you feel like he's more expendable um, with where they are right now than let's say where they were last year. Yeah. Buddy Hill's an interesting player because he's had maybe two or three games where you felt like, okay, they really needed him tonight, but that's out of the 11 games they played this year. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not like he is this reliable starting level guard. That's going to get you 15, 20 points a game. You're really relying on that. It's one of those things where I felt like they've won in spite of him sometimes being out there on the floor uh, the, the three or four games already where he shot the ball really poorly. I don't know if that has anything to do with coming off the uh, bench versus starting, um, but he's turned the ball over a little bit more as they've put the ball in his hands a little bit more to be more of a playmaker defensively. I, I think he's a decent team defender, still not a good on ball defender. There was a possession last night. I remember where he just got abused on the offense or on the, on the defensive glass did not box out whatever. And they got the ball back easily and just put it back up for two. It's like, okay, buddy, like, why, why are you out here? But he was a plus nine in that, in that fourth quarter last night. 
in the minutes that he played. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how is he a plus nine out here? But <laughs> he clearly is not making any shots. He wasn't hitting any shots and he had two turnovers and I guarantee his defense wasn't that great. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's this weird dynamic with him and Ty being really close. Rick really likes Buddy Hield as well. He does provide that constant threat of being an outside shooter. But at the same time, it's like, is it really smart to give him 28, 29 minutes in a game against Philadelphia where he was not that good when you have a guy like Ben Matherin over there or Andrew Nimhard kind of taking a back seat to him? Because I think Nimhard played less than 10 minutes in that game and Matherin played like 16. So I understand Buddy probably knows his role a little bit better than Matherin maybe, but at the same time, like, aren't you wanting to see that growth from Matherin? Like, what, what's the point of not playing him there? So that's kind of where I'm thrown off a little bit with these rotations. It's like we know Buddy is supposed to be coming off the bench, being in a lesser role, but does Rick trust his young players that he had to rely upon last year to close games for him uh, against a, a good team like Philly? I just I wonder where Rick's level of trust is. Yeah, and, you know, we, we are talking – about a, a small sample here. So, you know, is he going to continue to shoot this poorly? Um, probably not. I mean, I, I think a lot of that could come back. And nobody disputes that he's been a fantastic teammate mm -hmm. and, and all that. I, I just think that that whole, you know, it's not even really a sidebar. I, I think it's kind of front of mind of of what is going to happen with Buddy. Um, it, it just starts to fester and, and continue even more as he struggles a little bit in this in this new role. I think that's fair mm -hmm. to say that he's struggled with it. It certainly struggled consistency wise um, with this new role. And and you know even if he comes back and and he starts making shots again and all that, it, it's kind of hard for me, Alex, to envision him being here long term uh, and and that extension happening. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I've been wrong on that before. Certainly we were all wrong about it on Turner, right? For sure. <laughs> we were like, you know, you thought there was no chance that he was going to be part of their long-term plans. And it turns out that he was, but uh, with, with healed and this reduced role and then him struggling with it so far um, it's, it's one of the few, I think uh, downsides to this Pacers start. So season it, it, it's one of the few things that I think has gotten kind of gotten off on the wrong foot. Yeah. And I'm trying to be patient with it because I don't want to write him off too soon. It's only 11 yeah, games. And we can be honest, like he was really good in the Cavs in season tournament game, really brought a spark off the bench. And I think he had a couple of good games after that, but really struggled against Utah and Milwaukee and then struggled again. I think he had a decent game against Philly on Sunday. I think he had like 16 points, but eight of those I know came in the last like two minutes when he was put in when the game was kind of out of reach. So really, really trying to figure things out. I, but I, I think the one guy that to me has been the most hard to read in terms of like what the Pacers want to do with him is Andrew Nimhart. This is yeah. a guy last year that played 26 minutes, I think, a game, maybe even more than that, next to Tyrese. He's a really solid on-ball defender, really good, actually, on an off-ball defender, too. Like, he's just a solid defender all around. And I thought he was pivotal for the Pacers against the Bucks with what he did down the stretch, being able to – they were a little bit smaller. Having Mather and guard a guy like Giannis is not the perfect matchup, but – the way they were able to double team and the rotations that Andrew made off ball to kind of help the whole defense work as a scheme. One of those things like, why is he not out there in, in the game against Philly when it's a close back and forth? And it's like, you know, he's going to provide so much better defense than a buddy healed. And he's a secondary playmaker. Like 
I don't know if it's just like they didn't like the matchup with him because he had some turnover issues in the first game. I don't know. But I just feel like Andrew Nimhard has been in a weird spot this year and hasn't really been able to fully showcase all that he can do. And I don't ever know if he – I don't even know if he ever will be as he is kind of pigeonholed as the backup point guard behind Halliburton. I, I would love to see them find ways to maybe play them more together. Yeah, and maybe it's uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. I mean, I, I guess you file all these talks with Heald and Nemhard, et, et cetera, under the good problems to have category because the Pacers yes. just have a lot of good players, right? And yeah. and a lot of guys who need the ball and a lot of guys who have earned minutes because they're that good. And, and Nemhard is is certainly in that group. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the defense is always consistent. It's always there. Um, you know, the offense is a little more sporadic. He hit that big shot, what was it, the end of the third quarter? Um, the, the other night, uh, which was, you know, something that he can provide here every once in a while. Um, I, I'm also kind of like you on that. It, it's still early for me. Um, I'm expecting him to settle into his new role a little bit more because I, I just what, what I worry about with healed is that it's maybe a little too much of a seismic change for him because um, he's a guy. You know, Nemhard can affect the game without having the ball in his hands. And um, healed, you could say that less about, you know. Um, So I'm a little more optimistic that things kind of turn for him. But I I, I think, you know, what what you've seen is sort of um, Rick Carlisle and this coaching staff have to kick up a bunch of dust. And and then you're just kind of waiting for it all to kind of settle down and be like, okay, this is who the team is. Like we have kind of an idea of what they are, but we still don't quanti- kind of know what all the clearly defined roles are yet. I, I still think even though the Pacers are off to this great start and that's wonderful, this is still something that they're sort of working through. Yeah, it, it really is. And I kind of feel bad for Carlisle because he does have his hands tied a little bit with like so many guys that he wants to play. Like you talked about it earlier, TJ McConnell, like a guy that, didn't play for like two or three straight games. But then all of a sudden you need him to bring that spark off the bench and he's just ready to go. He's a true vet, true pro. Like he's a good basketball player. There's no doubt about it. And what you love about McConnell is he knows his role and he's willing to accept a lesser role if that's what is asked of him. So you got to really just appreciate that they're keeping that option open for him to be involved in the rotation when it's necessary and, and rewarding him with it because I think he was actually the first point guard off the bench in the second game against Philly and, and Nimhard ended up coming back in, I think to start the second, like it was one of those things where Nimhard kind of became the 10th guy in the rotation whenever they decided to, you know, change things up a little bit and reward TJ for having the best plus minus in the game on Sunday. So he's really impactful, but the two guys we haven't talked about are the other two starters, Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin. Um, Lots to talk about with both those guys before we kind of wrap this up. Is there one you wanted to talk about more than the other? I think there's probably less to talk about than Bruce Brown because I, I think he's been exactly as advertised. Yeah. Um, I, some folks might look at his contract and be like, well, well, I, you know, why is he not doing You know, why is he not all NBA defense first team? And, you know, it's things like that. Yeah. Look, he, he's a, he's a really capable player. Um, and a guy who fills a, a big void for the Pacers and, and a really important role for them. So, and I, I think he's really excelled in that role. Um, mm-hmm. If you have to pay a premium for that, then so be it. The Pacers certainly had the money to throw around to do it, and and they did it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not focused on the contract. I'm focused on how he's playing, and I think he's playing at a pretty high level. Um, with Ben Matherin, um, I, 
it's weird. I've kind of gone from like encouraged to discouraged to encouraged to discouraged. I, I think overall he's been fine. Um, I, I, I'm not thrilled with how the first dozen games have gone, um, mm-hmm. but I'm also not like totally downtrodden about it. I, I think, you know, he's another guy that's kind of feeling his way around in, in a new role. And um, I, I like the fact that you, you never have to worry about him kind of, you know, not to like throw a bunch of cliches in here, but like kind of grabbing the bull by the horns. Like yeah. he's, he's not afraid to just go in there and be like, yep. Okay. I'm doing it. Let's go. Um, so I, I think from a confidence standpoint, I, I think he's going to be fine Men- mentally. I think he's going to be fine, but I, I think it's just going to take, you know, you forget he, he kind of burst onto the scene last year and you forget that this is his second year, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, the infancy of his second year. So this is basically like his extended rookie season right now. Um, and so the fact that he's already on this level, I, I think is really encouraging. Um, I like, uh, who he's been as a passer a little bit better this year. Um, sure. You know, some, some other areas where I, I think there were some concerns his rookie year. So um, yeah, I mean, so far I, I want to give him a D or, or even a C. I, I think it'd probably be more like um, a, a B that's going down to like a B minus somewhere okay. in there. And, and I'm hoping that we can give Matherin an A grade by, you know, the midpoint of the season. Yeah. He's an interesting one because I, I kind of feel like this is what I'm going to expect from him, at least for the first half of the season, as he's trying to figure out, where he belongs with this starting five, what his actual role is. Is he the number two guy? Is he a guy that's just going to have to figure out when he's going to be the number two guy for the certain matchup or or whatnot? So I'm, I'm trying not to read too much into it because the moment you start to worry a little bit about what he does, he has those two games against Utah and Milwaukee where you're like, okay, this is who he can be. Like, you know, 11 rebounds, like that's his career high, shot the ball efficiently well, played good defense on Giannis. We're like, okay, you're starting to see – what he can be when he's at his highest peak. So let's see if he can tap into that a little bit more. You hope to see that against a team like Philadelphia, who also is the best team in the Eastern Conference. And he had moments, but it's almost like Rick didn't trust him a little bit. And we saw that in previous games too, before the Bucks and the Jazz game, he wasn't getting a lot of minutes. He was watching a lot of games from the sidelines as Bruce and, and Buddy or Bruce and Aaron and, and Andrew were getting those minutes to close out the game. So Rick talked about it. He's going to have to earn those minutes. Nothing is given. And so we'll see if he can figure out the right way to keep himself on the floor late in games and really be super impactful. I think they need him to be. I think for this team to reach its ultimate ceiling this season, they need Ben Matherin to kind of separate himself as that number two guy. Yeah. But we still have 71 games left to see what he can do. So it's it's way too early to to get overly concerned about it, but I do think that I am a little bit disappointed to a certain degree with the inconsistency that he's played with all year long. I'm, I'm hoping that this kind of – he can right that ship, Derek, but at the same time, you just never really know with young players, especially when a lot of guys go through sophomore slumps. Yeah, and it's just kind of hard to – and this goes for every guy on the team – to evaluate things right now because – Halliburton is way far ahead of where I think even really optimistic people thought he would be. And, and you kind of want, he's like sprinting ahead and you want everybody else to catch up right away. And it just, that's not reality. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not, not everybody's going to be a finished product um, right away. And Mm -hmm. and it's going to take some time. Um, I agree with you. I I, I think really, I'll go as far as to say, as I, I think if the Pacers want to be a true contender, um, at, at some point, um, Matherin's going to have to establish himself as the number two guy. Um, yeah. Now, 
you know, the roster in 25 and 26, I mean, there, there, there will be some changes and, and maybe we're, you know, somebody else new burst onto the scene, but kind of where we sit today, I, I feel like that's ideally the role that you want for him, like a really good all-star caliber number two player to be with this all NBA franchise level superstar in Halliburton. I, I think that's how you would want the, the roster to shake out here. But Again, you know, you and Fachi have to do these every night, so you you have to kind of pick things apart. Like seven and four, right? Like I, yes. I think everybody's got to be really excited about and how they played against Philly. It's not just that they split; um, they were the better team for large stretches of both of those games, and and I think that that both on the road, and and I think that that gives you um, a lot of hope here moving forward early in the season. Yeah, I mean, and overall, this team has been really good together. So that's yep. what's exciting about it. It's like, all right, we're still winning games despite Ben Mather and kind of being inconsistent. Same with Obi Toppin, you know, not even seeing Jairus Walker or Ben Shepard touch the floor and meaningful basketball <laughs> minutes at all. So you're you're seeing this team find ways to win in spite of all that. And I think that's what's encouraging about it. It's like, okay, we have enough guys on this roster that can step up any night. Aaron Eastwood can drop 24 points on – uh, on a on a Wednesday night against Utah and help when Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Hill can't get the ball in the basket, right? Yeah, that that's what you like, and the, and they've talked about this all offseason long too. Like their depth is their strength, and we're seeing that play out so far early into the season, where you can you can have an injury to a Jalen Smith and an Isaiah Jackson is sitting right there, and played pretty solid minutes for being a third string center on this Pacers team uh, against a tough Philadelphia team in a tough environment. Like I thought Isaiah Jackson actually played really well for what they asked him to do. So overall, I'm excited to see how this team just continues to grow as a collective unit. Um, Wanted to touch on this before we wrap up. I forgot to do it earlier. Daniel Tice bought out 14 spot, you know, 14 guys on the roster. Now there's an open roster spot. Does it make any sense? to maybe convert one of the two-way guys early on and bring them up to the roster? Or do you think that maybe they should use that 15th spot to just leave it open, go out there and find a free – I mean, what do you think they should do with that spot now? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question because it, it's almost like it's it's a roster that, you know, we talk about too, too many cooks in the kitchen. They, they've got so many good players that you don't, like, of course you want to do something with it, yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't feel necessarily the need to do something with it. Right. Because you're like, okay, even if you bring somebody in, you know, how are they going to crack into this rotation because of, of how good um, the, the top nine, 10 guys have been here. Um, I think with, with Tice, you know, especially when Jalen Smith sort of solidified himself as that number two, and, and you knew that Jackson was still going to find a way to find the floor. I think, you know, he was number four on that chart anyway, probably um, going into the season, you know, barring international competition aside and, and a couple of good weeks out there. Um, I, I think we kind of knew that that's it was a long shot for Daniel Tice to to crack this rotation. Um, but what they do next, um, I, I, I honestly, Alex, I don't even have an answer. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what you do with that, because I don't know, like, even if you elevate one of the two way guys, I don't know how they see the floor with the way that this rotation is right now. And and I can't really think of something specifically that the Pacers need that they don't have somebody else deeper on the roster that, that can provide for that, or they can kind of um, get it uh, with a combination of guys. There's not like one certain, like, okay, you have to go out and get a three point shooter and then you plug him in and then he plays eight minutes a night. Like, I, I don't think there's that type of player that they need on this roster. 
Yeah, the, the player that they bring in at, at the 15th spot is going to be in the same spot Daniel Tice is in. They're not going to see yeah. the floor. So to me, it's like the only reason that I would even consider it is if you feel like you need another veteran leader in the locker room. Do you call up James Johnson? Do you call up George Hill and say, look, you know, we, we couldn't get you on the roster, you know, for the season because we were too stacked up and had too many guaranteed contracts. But, you know, things played out with Daniel. We got that open roster spot now. Would you be interested in coming back? You already know most of the guys on the roster. Would you want to come in and be more of like a mentor, finish out your career kind of this way? That's the only realistic thing I can see. Um, I saw some people throwing out the idea of maybe going after TJ Warren, who's a free agent, you know, former Pacer. Don't necessarily know if I love that just because I don't think TJ is going to like not playing. So it'd be smarter for him to kind of wait until he has an opportunity to maybe go to a team that suffers an injury. He can be like a backup small forward or power forward, something like that. But I just feel like at this point, it would kind of make sense just to leave it open, especially if they want to make a lopsided trade, because then they don't have to worry about cutting somebody. That when they do like a, a one for two or something like that. That's that's why I think Daniel Tice was cut in the first place. There was talks they were trying to find a trade for him with the Clippers, but the Clippers financially just there was nothing really there that made a lot of sense. And the Pacers were not going to take back money that was going to be attached to next year. I think the only deal that could have made sense was like a PJ Tucker for Daniel Tice straight up trade. And it's like, okay, first of all, this the the, the Clippers don't want to get rid of PJ Tucker, number one. And number two. The Pacers don't want to pay P.J. Tucker $11-plus plus million next season when he's like 39, 40 years old. So it's like it's just more cost-effective to buy him out, let him go to the Clippers on his own. You save a little bit of money, and now you have this open roster spot. And you're right. There's no reason to convert anybody either because they're not going to play. So you might as well just leave them on the Mad Ants and let them get the experience that they need uh, to, to grow as a player. So I, I just personally think the easy option is leave it open, and then if something happens where – there's a way you can utilize it, then utilize it that way. But you don't have to have the roster completely full. Yeah, and and this also, you know, for Tice, this works out because now he goes somewhere, he has a role, um, he'll play, presumably. <laughs> so um, it, it kind of works out. It's one of those things that kind of works out for both parties. The Pacers didn't need to keep him here. Um, mm. And, you know, he probably wanted to go somewhere else and see the floor a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can only say so much about Daniel Tice and his tenure with the Pacers, like eight games. Like, what what are you supposed to say about that? Obviously, yeah. he was brought here to be more of a salary filler to make the Brogdon trade work, and then Indiana just could never really figure out a way to move off of him. So um, we'll see what happens there. But, Derek, this was a lot of fun. Um, always enjoyed doing a, a discussion on the Pacers, kind of doing a state of the Pacers where they're at now, obviously a couple of days off before they play the magic on Sunday. Uh, I know you'll be in the building for that one. What are you most excited about looking forward to in that game? Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, uh, my son is going to finally experience Pacers basketball. Um, now that he's old enough to remember it, he's, he's yeah. six. Um, and we, I don't think we've taken him since uh, we, we didn't end up going last year. Um, I don't think we've taken him since before COVID. So it's, it's been, it's been a minute. Um, you know, I, I wanted to go during the 21, 22 season, but there wasn't a lot of reason to go, um, during that season, unfortunately. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I'm excited to see how they build on the, um, momentum of, of beating Philly and, and playing that way, um, in, in both of those games in Philadelphia, giving themselves a chance to win both of those games, but coming away, with a split and returning the home crowd and, and seeing if they can keep up this historic pace offensively and, 
if Halliburton can keep up what he's doing and then iron some of these things out because I, I think that's really what it is. There, there's no – what's so encouraging, Alex, is that I don't think there's a fatal flaw with this team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, people might say, well, they got to defend uh, – yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, they, they have to defend better. Okay, great. Um, is that a fatal, tragic flaw that can't be overcome? No, it's not. I mean, clearly it's not, right? Yeah. I mean, we've seen that in the first 11 games. So um, that, that's what's really encouraging for me because there have been a lot of Pacers teams where – Either there's been some tragic flaw or they've had some clearly defined ceiling, even in November. Um, and, and I'll leave you with this. I actually looked this up last night because we were talking about how how great it is for the Pacers to be not only fun but good again. Um, two years ago tonight, when we're taping this podcast, we're taping this on, on Wednesday night, uh, the Pacers scored 84 points in a loss to the Knicks. So just, just think about that for a second and think about any minute that you spent on that 21-22 team, especially early on. And now think about where the roster is now. And it's it's incredible that they've completely flipped it on its head in two years. That 21-22 team before they traded for Halliburton is probably one of the most dark, dark one of the darkest times oh, yeah. in Pacers history. Like, that was bad. And I was excited to see what Carlisle could do with Turbonus and maybe, you know, find a way to make it all work. And nope, it was just, thank God Carlisle was there, though to be able to have that voice of reason to say, look, y'all got to change this. You know, you can't yeah. keep trying to, you know, put this round peg in a square hole or whatever. It's just like, it was just one of those things where it's like this roster was just a bunch of misfits with one another. Good players didn't fit well together, trying to be something they couldn't be. So it's like the amount of joy we're seeing with this team play with is, is incredible. Absolutely love the way Tyrese has just changed the entire culture of this Pacers franchise and gave them hope that we never thought they'd have. There's been some great pieces written about them. Um, I know Dustin Dopierak did a great piece on Tyrese Halliburton before the season started or right, right when the season first started. And I know the ringer, uh, Rob Mahoney. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, Rob so Mahoney. Rob's going to be joining yeah. us tomorrow on the podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was a great piece. Uh, me and him will be going one-on-one talking about that piece and just kind of his overall thoughts. I got to meet him when he was here writing the article, kind of getting the insight. So he was at the Wizards game for the opener. So that's how long that's been in the works there for him, just trying to piece that all together and just have that uh, story develop. So it's been really cool to see how it's all played out. But, you know, can't say enough great things about Tyrese Halliburton. We started with Tyrese. We're going to end with Tyrese just because this franchise is – I don't even know what happens if if for some reason the Sixers traded Ben Simmons to the Kings for Buddy Hilton and, and Tyrese Halliburton. What what happens to the Pacers after that? I don't know, but I'm glad we don't have to live in that reality. <laughs> we have to figure out what this team would be like without Tyrese because he is, in my opinion, he's an All-NBA point guard who's who's should be a starting point guard for the All-Star team for the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of given this whole fan base hope again. Um, and, and that was really hard to come by really, really the post Paul George West Hibbert years. Um, it, it was, it was very hard to hope. I, I think very briefly you did maybe 17, 18 yeah. with Oladipo and Sabonis. You're kind of like, okay, like I, I can kind of see this. And then th- that, you know, that, that carriage turned into a pumpkin there pretty quickly with injuries and everything else. But, um, you know, I, I think, and I think ownership got it and Pacers leadership got it. They, I think they thought two years ago that, Oh God, well the, the fans, what they want is they want to be competitive and they want to see a, a competitive basketball. Now f- fans don't want that. They want hope. They want, yeah. they want to know that this team can reach something higher. And, and with Tyrese Halliburton, now all of those possibilities feel like they're on the table with yeah. Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren and Domas. It, it just, 
it, it felt like the ceiling was, hey, maybe they can host a first round playoff series. You know what I mean? Like that that's what it felt like. And and there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But if you're doing that or if that if that's the end goal every year, then um that's that's not a good place to be. Yeah, we we were we were more at least Kevin Pritchard was seemed like he was more content with being a tough out than he was yeah. being a legit title contender. And Herb Simon comes on the record, says, I love my little team. And it's just like what a moment. What a moment in Pacers franchise history for that to happen. Seeing them give up 158 points to the Charlotte Hornets on their home court. That was when I think everything was just like, okay, we got to do something different. This can But they pulled, you know what I mean? They ripped out the plug and and here Thank we are. God. So, you know, some teams let that thing linger and, you know, the Pacers probably let that that core group past their sell-by date by, by yes. I, I think, a year probably. They should have probably blown it up a year before that. But still, to, to be here in two years um, in a league where it takes a minute a lot of times is uh, pretty incredible. You got to love the return they got back for the trades they made at the deadline too. Jalen Smith, yep. Andrew Nimhard, now Ben Shepard, and, of course, Tyrese and Buddy. So, like, talk about five guys that are still on the roster and guys that you hope can be at least somewhat a uh, part of the future, most of the guys. So, that does give you a little bit of hope. But Derek, like I said, I've kept you way too long. It's been a lot of fun. I just, there's there's so much to talk about this Pacers team. They've been really fun to talk about this year. And uh, we'll see what happens over the next 11 games. And we'll get you back on here in December, figure out what this Pacers team looks like in the middle of December and see if we're still singing the praises like we are right now. But um, anything you want to plug before I let you go? Yeah, uh, Corey and Schultz with, with Jake query who does the middays on the fan uh still going once this a week our, our little podcast um i was with him this afternoon <laughs> isc sports network and such uh we'll, we'll get more into the i'm always worried about talking pacers because it's time sensitive i feel like sometimes uh because we knew the game was going to be played that night um and for the uh, ibj i will be writing about the pacers uh next week so next friday okay. is my next turn and uh i actually switched out something else i was like no i'm, I'm moving that back because we got to write about the Pacers now, so that'll, that'll be coming up next Friday. But Mark yeah. Monteith and I, who a lot of Pacers fans know, I know for all the years he's followed the team, we rotate back and forth on that. And yeah, then uh, and Schultz975 on X, if you want to check that out too. But I appreciate it, my man. Always enjoy the visits, even without Fachi. And I'm um, looking forward to talking to you guys before the holidays. Yes, yes, sir. And uh, I probably won't. I don't know. I'll probably text you, but I might not talk to you on here again. So happy Thanksgiving to you. Hope you guys have a good one next week. It's Thanksgiving. It's hard to believe we're already there. Um, this weather has really thrown me back for makes me feel like we're still in September with the weather we've had recently. So um, it's been beautiful. It's been great outside. But uh, Derek, thanks again, man. Great, great conversation as always. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to having you back on. Anytime, buddy. Thanks so much. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.